This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm good. I haven't seen you in a while, brother. So uh, it's been uh, the, beard, the beard's back on. I shaved a bit. And the beard's back on. So. <laughs> no, I have not been growing a COVID nineteen beard. I've been shaving uh, almost every morning. Uh, my son's got one that uh, his mother wants him to shave off. Uh, so uh, I haven't seen you in a while. We've been doing this remotely. I'm in, up in Richmond Hill. You're up in Nobleton, and. Uh, We'll keep it going. Hopefully, hopefully, I see you again in studio pretty soon. Uh, hopefully, we can get to this. Got a got a shout out to all the mothers today. It's Happy Mother's Day, uh, Naz. Uh, all the best to uh, Mary Lynn, Mary Lane. Uh, I know your mom's passed on. Uh, I have very fond memories of your mom and, of course, of your dad from our youth when I used to come over. We used to watch uh spent a lot of time in your basement in your living room watching watching hockey watching sports so i have tremendous memories of of your mom my mom i'm still fortunate uh, she's still with us uh i, I i'm uh, i'm part of the covid19 uh, thing uh i'm not actually able to see her in live today she's in a long-term care facility so we're Going to head over this afternoon and do the uh, the wave through the window thing. So to all the moms out there and to my wife and to your wife, Naz, and all the mothers, uh, a happy Mother's Day. Uh, certainly, uh, couldn't, couldn't have said it any better. Uh, certainly uh, means more this year than it ever than it ever has in a lot of different ways. On the show today, we're thrilled. Brian Burke. Um, um, actually thrilled to interview him. I, I, I don't think I've uh, prepared as much for an interview as I, as I have for the Brian Burke interview. Uh, you know, he's a pretty bright guy and pretty accomplished. So, uh, I have a feeling he's going to keep us on our toes today. So, uh, I have a whole long list, a laundry list of questions, uh, I want to ask him. And I know you do as well, Ness. Uh, and it's appropriate at this time, as we usually do, uh, a shout out to all the people who are Providing essential services, uh, doctors, nurses, responders, uh, policemen, fire, uh, fire, uh, fire, uh, uh, fire chiefs and fire uh, people, uh, firefighters that couldn't get the words out, uh, truck drivers, grocery store clerks. So many of us are on the front lines of this. I feel privileged. I'm not on the front lines, but I do have... Uh, I do have admiration and respect uh, for those that uh, have to work, uh, choose to work, who are personal service workers, people working in long-term care facilities. So many of them, Naz, that we owe so much to that are trying to keep our society functioning. Uh, They're doing a great job, and uh, we owe them so much. So 
once again, as we do every Sunday morning, a shout out to all the uh, all the people who are keeping us keeping us going. I'd like to do a shout out also to Jillian Herring and Rose Gugletti from Amica Thornhill Seniors Lifestyle. Zero positive tests in that facility. That's an amazing job for them. Yeah, man. On that note, uh, a shout out to the people, the good people at Pine Grove as well, where uh, my mom is. um, You know, it's uh, wow. It's. you know these are these are difficult times, and the and the facilities that take care of our most vulnerable uh, are under really, really, really trying circumstances. And to all those people working in those facilities who are putting their lives at risk uh, on a daily basis, uh, thank you much. Thank you so much. So Naz, thank for thank you for pointing that out, and uh, of course, uh, important to recognize. All the all the people uh, in those facilities. Uh, it's certainly been a trying time, and um, for them trying to protect protect our seniors, the ones that have built our country, the ones we owe so much to. Um, we keep our fingers crossed. On a brighter note, it looks like uh, the golf courses are going to be opening too. Well. For the email uh, from uh, from Club Link, I'm expecting it almost on a daily basis. I got my foursome ready, Naz. Uh, uh, the first day, the first day, I will be lined up, uh, ready to go. Uh, they have a whole new social distancing protocol for for golf courses. It's uh, it, it's certainly a place I think we can practice uh, practice our sport and do it in a safe manner. It's uh, we keep away from each other. They have special rules about the cups and putting your hand in the in the cup that won't be allowed. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, certainly looking forward to that. Naz, on that note, uh, we have Brian Burke, and I think uh, we should get to him as soon as we possibly can. We'll take the break, and we'll get Brian Burke on the phone. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online, and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. 
To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Brian Burke. Good morning, Brian. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. How are you? We're great. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. Just to let you know, uh, we're doing this remotely. Uh, I'm in I'm in Richmond Hill. Naz is in uh, Nobleton, so you're you're sort of stuck in the middle with us. So you'll you'll be getting uh, you'll be you'll be getting shots from the right and the left here. Not not shots. Uh, we have the highest respect for your work and your career. Um, and I'd like to get into it with you really quickly. The one thing I've admired most about you, Brian. Uh, amongst a bunch of uh, a lot of other things, uh, certainly accomplished. Uh, the one thing I've admired most about you is you always made community service an important part of your credo in the sense that um, you thought important that sports organizations, that players, that management uh, – be parts of their community and contribute to their communities. And I always thought that that was a really great policy to have. Uh, Brian, uh, share that with us. Well, thank you. First of all, it's, it's one of the things that is very important to me personally and on a professional level. And it's not just altruistic or philanthropic on my part. It's also part of a very sophisticated approach to marketing your team. And I had three pillars when I ran my teams. One was to run it like a business. And whenever I speak publicly and I say that, people are like, well, of course you run it like a business. No, a lot of pro sports teams are not run like a business. A lot of owners run their teams on principles that are counter to anything they would do in any other business. And I've said this before. A lot of owners make billions in one industry and then proceed to do exactly the opposite when they get a sports team. So number one is run it like a business. Number two is play an entertaining style. My teams were fun to watch. We hit, we fought, we traded chances. I didn't want to trap. I didn't want to be boring. But number three was community service. And in my mind, and I proved this, 
we started selling out in Vancouver long before we started winning because we were entertaining. We, we ran it like a business. And then third was community service. People saw our players in the community. They appreciated that. And they started supporting the team. That's Brian. Brian, you have been, you've been in charge of three Canadian franchises, Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, and two American clubs, Hartford and Anaheim. Which one was the most difficult to run and why? Oh, uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, well, I only lasted a year in, in Hartford. The owner and I did not see eye to eye by the end of the year, so I moved on to the league. So that couldn't be number one. Um, there is something special about your first team, though. There is something special about your first TM job. I'll never forget that team. I, I loved living in Hartford. I really love the guys. That was the toughest team I ever had, tougher than Anaheim. Um, and I loved living in Hartford. People were great there. But uh, moving on, between uh, my favorite place to live was Calgary because the people were so nice. It's so beautiful. And going back to the first question, everyone in Calgary is involved with the charity. Like You meet someone. I, I, this struck me my first week living there. What do you do? Oh, I work for Grant Thornton, and I'm on the board of Special Olympics. What do you do? Oh, I work for ESSO, and I'm on the board of uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters. Everybody, everybody in Calgary gives back. I've never worked anywhere like that. It's crazy. It was great. Um, as far as the hockey experience, it's hard to beat the two tours of duty I did in Vancouver because uh, both times when I worked for Pat from 87 to 92 and then when I went back, both times the team got steadily better and the community rallied behind us. It was like being the king. Uh, the most fun professionally was Anaheim because we won it. You, know, you get a chance to hoist the cup over your head, and it's uh, it's special. It's like climbing Mount Everest. Brian, one uh, one word that comes up uh, in your evaluation of players over the years is character. Character is important to you. Always has been. And you grew up in a family of uh, 10 kids. Uh, Dad, mom, uh, I think you're born in Providence, moved to Minnesota. And there's an interesting, interesting uh, story. Uh, your dad, uh, uh, I'd like you to, to share with our listeners. Uh, and it stuck with you for, I, I guess, forever. Uh, in quotation marks, uh, I, I think your dad taught you a lesson at one time uh, that life isn't always fair. Uh, tell us that story. Yeah, I remember my my dad, uh, I got cut from a team, and I started very late. I didn't start playing hockey until I was 13, so my first year of hockey was Phantom. And my second year, I got cut from the Midget B or Bantam B team, and I remember saying to my dad, I was, I was really disappointed because I'd worked so hard, and I remember complaining to my dad, I said, that's not fair, and my dad said to me, well, why, whoever told you life was fair? Whoever told you life was fair or was going to be fair or that you're entitled to fairness? You're not entitled to assume that. you got to work your hardest, do your best, and then good things will happen. So I've never forgotten that. It's, um, it's, it was a, my dad was a, not a stern guy, but he was stern that day. He was kind of like, what, what are you smoking? Who said life's fair? Life isn't, life isn't fair. And life, you'll get as many breaks as you create for yourself working hard positioning yourself the right way, knowing the right people, doing things the right way. That's how life is fair. And if you don't do all those things, life isn't fair. And it's not fair sometimes anyway. I can tell you as a parent who lost a kid, life isn't fair all the time. 
Brian, okay. you have a name. Brian, here are two names I would like you to comment on and what they meant to you, your career. Gary Bettman and Pat Quinn. Well, there's four guys that I talk about when I talk about mentors. One was my dad. My dad was a wonderful man, and I miss him every day. Um, the other one you left out was Lou Lamorello, who I played for in Providence and was a wonderful influence on me for four years. But the two you mentioned, Pat Quinn, I worked for Pat for five years. Um, I guess the best compliment I can give about Pat Quinn is that I wanted to be Pat Quinn. I tried to emulate all the good things about him. Um, I didn't manage to do that. There was only one Pat Quinn, but I sure took on a lot of his qualities. Um, Pat was big on a couple things. One was fairness. Talked about fairness all the time. He said, we don't owe anyone a promotion. We don't owe anyone a, a player a captaincy. What we do owe every employee here is fairness. They have to be treated fairly, and they have to perceive that they're being treated fairly. And that lesson stuck with me and still does to this day. The other thing was Pat was a great listener, and I tried to acquire that skill unsuccessfully, as it turns out. I, I'm still more interested in what I have to say sometimes, and I still interrupt. But Pat Quinn would let you talk for an hour and never interrupt. So wonderful man, tough, fair, smart. Uh, I wished I could be Pat Quinn when I was younger, and I hope I took on some of his attributes. Uh, Gary Bettman, his image in Canada is, is not good, and it breaks my heart. He's a brilliant guy. He's a great guy. He's a great family guy. He's tough as nails. He's even smarter. And um, it was a pleasure working for him and an honor. And I, I view it like going to Harvard Business School, working for Gary Bettman for five years, like getting an MBA from Harvard. Yeah. Uh- Fascinating part, uh, uh, Brian. Uh, I think you're only the second. Uh, we've been on the air five and a half years in this incarnation of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I think you're only the second graduate of, of Harvard uh, that we've ever interviewed. The other one that I can remember is Marv Levy, the former coach of the Buffalo Bills. And I think the only graduate from the Harvard Law School Um you had an LSAT north of 700, uh, which for the non for for non lawyers uh, was considered a brilliant score in the 1970s. Certainly in the high, I think the high top one 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 and a half percentile. Uh, from what I've read, you barely prepared for the for the LSAT, which is the uh, that examination. Uh, tell us what uh, Harvard was like. Uh, the great movie in the 1970s for, for guys going to law school was Paper Chase. I don't know if you remember watching that before it was uh, before you went to Harvard. It featured a, a cantankerous professor called Professor Kingsfield. Uh, don't know if you watched Paper Chase. I suspect that you did. Uh, your recollections of Harvard Law School and how close was it to the movie or describe any significant professors that you remember. Well, when I went there, John Houseman, I think, was the professor. John Houseman is correct. And um, one of the, when they did the typecasting or, you know, when they put the character together, one of the principal characters was Professor Clark Bice, B-Y-S-E. And I had Professor Bice for contracts my, when I was a one-out my first year. And, um, and it was just like the movie. If you weren't prepared, you were asked to leave the class. They have a seating chart with your, your picture on it. You have an assigned seat, so it's not like you can hide very easily. And he was very intimidating and very demanding, but he was a great professor, too. Wonderful, wonderful teacher. Just a very stern and demanding guy. And if you weren't prepared, if he, he turned to you and said, 
Mr. Burke, I want the facts of Hawkins versus McGee. You had better have done the reading and better be able to recite the facts in a concise fashion, or you were asked to leave. Um, I didn't like Harvard. I thought it was too much like that, too intimidating when it could have been a, a, a better learning experience. I think it's better now. I've lectured there a few times since I got out. I think it's better now. But um, when, you, when people ask me where I went to school, I say Providence College. I'm very proud of playing hockey at Providence College for Lou Amarillo. Uh, I am a friar, which is the school name, the team name. And um, I never say I went to Harvard. People have to pry that out of me. That's right. There's one question to lighten it up a bit. <laughs> why do you not? Why do you rarely tie your tie? Well, I wish there was a more interesting statement about that. Um, people always ask me if I was trying to make a fashion statement. I'm like, I'm from Minnesota. I wanted 10 kids. I'm not smart enough to make a fashion statement. It was never important in our house. I mean, good Lord. I, I went to college with two hockey bags, and one of them was full of hockey equipment. That's all I took to college. I, it cracked me up when I was driving my daughters back to school to start the school year. They had refrigerators and stereos, and I had two hockey bags, and one of them was mostly hockey equipment. The other one, I had a suit coat. I had one suit. My, my dad made me buy a suit for my uh, or a suit coat and nice pants for my uh, recruiting tour in the fall. I had a couple of suit coats. Uh, I think I got a suit at some point, not that first year maybe. And then some clothes. I had like 10 shirts, underwear, and three pairs of jeans. That was it. And so the tie thing comes from, I used to go to work when I worked for Pat at 5.30 in the morning. I was in the office by 6 every day. So when the Toronto Maple Leafs were open for business at 9 a.m., so were the Vancouver Canucks. Pat would come in between 7 and 7.15. I would roll out of bed and come into work in jeans and a T-shirt. And I kept all my work clothes at work. So Pat would roll out of, roll into work about 7.15, dressed immaculately. Um, he was a great dresser. And we would meet in his office. And some days the meeting would be 20 minutes. Some days it would be an hour. Because I had to fill him in. I did most of the grunt work, you know, the amateur scouting, pro scouting, all the staff contracts, all the player contracts. So I would give him an update on where I was. You know, I'm trying to sign David Bruce. Here's where we are on the money. And, and Pat had complete control over everything. He had his fingertips on everything. He'd say, okay, you can bump the offer of this. I'd say, I'm having a problem with this team doctor. And he'd say, all right, I'll talk to him. He'd go through the whole thing. I'd get my assignments for the day. Sometimes that meeting lasted 20 minutes. Sometimes it was an hour. Then I would go downstairs and work out. So I'd run on the treadmill or ride the bike, shower, shave, and put on a suit. I would never tie the tie downstairs because it was just a waste of time. So I started going upstairs, hanging up my suit coat, and going to work. And I wouldn't tie the tie until I had my first meeting. And a lot of days, that wasn't until the game, until a warm-up. So then I stopped tying it all together. It's just sheer laziness. So there's not a great story behind it. It's more laziness than anything. Brian, uh, you coached five NHL teams. Uh, you've probably dealt with a lot of player agents over the years. Uh, which ones would you describe as being really good at their craft and why? Well, I don't think negotiating contracts is a good use of a GM's time. I really don't. It's very aggravating. There's a lot of time that goes into minor moves. Um, so when I, when I was an assistant GM, I did every player contract in Vancouver. And then when I went to Hartford, I did every player contract because I was new. 
And then when I went back to Vancouver, I did every fire contract, I think, the first summer, and then I gave it over to Dave Nonas. So I don't think it's a good use of time. Like Even a minor league contract, even a good minor leaguer, you're talking three, four hours total on the phone before you get the deal done. Four hours where you could be trying to make trades and make your team better. So I haven't done player contracts in a long time. I wouldn't opine on on the current state of affairs in the NHL, who's good, who's not. Back in the day, I did I had some notable battles with Pat Morris, who I thought was very professional, very good. Um, Donnie, me, and that group, Newport Sports. Um, back, I mean, I'm so old. I remember dealing with Gus Padali and Bill Waters, and you know, I go back a long way. Uh, Art Kaminsky. Um, so I wouldn't opine as to who's good or who's not right today, but I don't think it's a good use of a GM's time. To me, it's like that's why you have an analytics guy. It's not a good use of a GM's time to crunch numbers. And it's the same thing on player contracts. They're time-consuming and aggravating. It's not the best use of your time. Now, as GM, I still kept control of it. So if Dave Nonis is doing it, uh, let's say Dave Nonis is working on Trevor London's contract, I still make the final call on what we pay him. But he does the grunt work on a series of phone calls and takes notes and all. It's just like Pat did. So I did every player contract when I worked for Pat. But Pat had final say on what we did, what whether we moved or what happened next. So you want to have control of the process but not put in the time. Stanley Club in Anaheim, which trade did you make that really helped you get over to the top? In Anaheim? Uh, well, okay, so... If you talk about Anaheim, you got to talk about the two Murrays. It's not fair to talk about that team without talking about the two Murrays. First, Brian Murray, the late, great Brian Murray, who left so many important pieces on the board. Chigi was there when I got there, J.S. Shiger. Andy McDonald was there when I got there. Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff were there when I got there. Chris Kunitz was there when I got there. So we started with a really a bunch of important pieces on the chessboard. And Bob Murray, the assistant GM, was instrumental in filling in the rest of the chessboard. And I, I say this I say this all the time. Every time a team wins the cup, the assistant GM's name is on the cup. But I don't know an assistant GM who has a, a greater right to have his name on the cup than Bob Murray. Like, he was instrumental in a number of those deals. Like, he pushed me to get Travis Mullen. He pushed me to get Francois Beauchemin. Like, Sean Thornton. These are all guys he really pushed me to get that I wasn't that big on. So um, the trade that put us over the top, I mean, people will point to the Chris Pronger deal in the summer of 06. And that's probably the history will regard that as that's what put us over the top. But I think that belittles Scott Niedermeyer a little bit because I think that move a summer before, those two moves got to be ranked equally. And that wasn't a trade. That was a free agent signing. He was an unrestricted free agent from New Jersey. And uh, signing him put us into contention. And Chris Pronger was probably the, the last piece that uh, that we needed. Once we had Chris Pronger, we started openly talking about winning the Stanley Cup. Brian, uh, which uh, um, Brad May was added later on in the year. You always, you've always said he was an important part of the dressing room. What did he do to make himself that important? Well, he does he does three things. Number one, he brings a positive energy to the room. And I talk about this a lot. Tamu Solani was like that. Tamu never had a bad day in his life. We get beat six to one. Tamu come in the next day. Hey, we'll get these guys tomorrow night. Everything's good. Let's go, let's get a coffee. Let's get going here. Tamu never had a bad day. And we had some grumpy management people, including me and Bob Murray. We had a grumpy coach in Randy Carlisle. 
We had the grumpiest player, second grumpiest player ever in Chris Barner. So to have guys in the room that were upbeat, that had a great value. So that's number one. Number two, he was tougher than the night in jail. So we added to our bottom six toughness where if there was any doubt who the toughest team in the league was before we got Brad May, there wasn't any doubt after we got him. And then third, he actually can play. Like the one thing about my toughness, people say, oh, you're, you had a bunch of uh, you know chain gang guys in the bottom six. Those guys could all play. George Perils could play. Like on the nights when we didn't need them to fight, those guys chipped in. Sean Thornton could play. Brad May could play. So these were guys that added to our our core strength in terms of the bottom six. Uh, May they added to that, but he also could play a little bit. And then he added those other two things and, and leadership and positive attitude and the toughness. Everyone was afraid of Brad May. Uh, Brian, I want to go back to a gentleman that had a great influence in your career, Lou Lamorello. Um, uh, we, we actually interviewed him on the show about three years ago, and he was still with the Leafs. And I remember that interview like it was yesterday uh, because he schooled me really, really quickly at the beginning of the interview. And uh, uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Uh, but you learned a valuable lesson from Lou Lamorello when you were at Providence College. Uh, I think you showed up late for a practice uh, one time, and I believe you suffered some dire consequences. Uh, got you up early in the morning. So tell us that story. Yeah, it was Christmas Day, and we skated at 9 o'clock. And I'm a very early riser, and I go to bed very early. Like a, a typical night for me, not so much now when I'm working late nights doing TV and, and normal schedule, but my typical schedule as a GM was in bed at 11, read till 11.30, get up at 5. Go to bed at 11.30, get up at 5. And even in college, I went to bed early and got up early. And I think if you're a hunter or a fisherman, that's kind of your life. You know, like, if you're a fisherman and you don't get up early, you're not going to catch enough <laughs> fish. So same thing with duck hunting. You know, your best bet's being out there first thing. So I was late. I took some freshmen to midnight mass. So we didn't get to go home that year. We didn't get to go back to Minnesota or Canada or wherever you're from because we were playing in a tournament. And so Christmas Eve, everyone was miserable and homesick. So I took three freshmen from Minnesota to Midnight Mass. There's a big Catholic church across the street from Providence College. I want to say St. Pius. And I took these three freshmen to Midnight Mass. So we got home around 1.30 and I went to bed. And I didn't wake up for practice, which was at 9 o'clock. So Lou, and it turned out later, Ronnie Wilson, who was my teammate, as a practical joke, turned off my alarm clock. So I, I would have would not have been late except for a prank. And I had to skate at 4 o'clock in the morning for nine days with Lou. Nine days. But I was never late for anything since. <laughs> um, on, on, on the issue of what's going around now in terms of player behavior, which has uh, been quite significantly uh, uh, on everybody's radar screen this week, uh, coaching behavior. Uh, has been discussed in the in the recent past. Um, we knew, I believe, we do now have a new coach's uh, conduct reference from the from the NHL. Um, a lot of the behaviors that perhaps wouldn't say were acceptable in the past, but maybe tolerated, are no longer. Um, on that issue, Brad Hall said something controversial. Um, how far back do we go on some of these things? 
I we all we all I think we all appreciate and I think we all understand what's acceptable conduct today and what's not acceptable. That's the easy part of it. Uh, but the proverbial statute of limitations on past conduct, what, what's your feelings on that? Well, I, I was part of that interview. I can tell you what Brad Hall said was, yeah, we saw a lot. He hadn't even seen what Leipzig said. He wasn't condoning any remarks of Brandon Leipzig. He was talking in general like, it's different now. We said bad things. I've said that before publicly. My son was gay, but when I played, I used homophobic language all the time. I'm so embarrassed now. But you can't use a, a 2020 lens on conduct that occurred when I played in 1977. Was it reprehensible? Yes. Am I embarrassed? Yep. I apologized to my son so many times after he came out. I said, you can't believe how I used to talk. I'm so embarrassed. So Brett Hull had not seen the comments and just basically saying, yeah, we said dumb things too. And so everyone's saying, oh, he's condoning what Brandon Leipzig said, and it's only because of social media. That's not what he said. So, and, and the beauty of Brett Hull is he won't care anyway. He won't care anyway. He's never said anything offensive like that in the modern era when it's not acceptable. And so, to me, the key here is when all this stuff started with Coach Peters and, and this junior hockey abuse and racial commentary, what I said on TV and what I meant was, if this is our Me Too moment, let's have it all out now. Let's bring it all to light. It's reprehensible. It's got to stop. Let's bring it all to light. And I was confident at that time there would not be a big, you know, a big parade of offenses, a, a big, uh, a large number of cases that we had to deal with. And I was right. It was a very small number because the game has evolved. And I was playing midget hockey and I had a coach grab me by both shoulders and slam me into the chicken wire fence or the chain link fence that we had in our rink. We didn't have glass by both shoulders, and physically slammed me as hard as he could in and yell at me. My parents were there. My mom wasn't happy, but my dad was like, what did you do? Why did you make the coach so mad? I was there when Mark Crawford kicked Brent Sopel. I told Brent Sopel afterwards, you're lucky I wasn't on the bench. You either got kicked twice. <laughs> but I made Mark Crawford apologize to him in person and on the ice in front of the whole team. It's not appropriate. But these things change. Remember when Woody Hayes grabbed a player by the, by the throat <laughs> on an opposing team? Like, these things change. And so what's acceptable today will be different in the year 2040. It'll continue to evolve, and there'll be a different standard and a different microscope, and it might go backwards. Who knows? But the point is, I, I have not – this stuff has no place in our game. Racial, racial commentary or any kind of racial discrimination, any kind of uh, comments about women that are inappropriate, any kind of physical abuse, they have no place in our game. Come forward if they happen. People come forward, and we'll deal with them. I'm not worried about it. I think our game has cleaned itself up nicely. Brian, there's a good chance the NHL will get back at play. Do you feel the younger teams have a better chance because of the layoff over the veteran teams? Um, you know what? I'm not so sure we're going to get back to play. I hope you're right. I'm more hopeful than I ever was with each passing day. I said from the get-go we weren't going to play. I still think there are significant obstacles, although I am encouraged by a little wrinkle, and this is the lawyer in me. They say that the UFC event went ahead last night, even though one fighter tested positive. So you would think they'd say we have to quarantine all the fighters and the handlers and everyone had access to this fighter, but they didn't. They went ahead and did the event. And that's not what the health experts have said. They've said if one player tests positive, they've all got to quarantine. So I'm curious about that. 
I hope I'm wrong. I've said from the get-go it's going to be hard to play. Um, I think we're reopening too soon in some of the states. Um, and I, I foresee continuing problems with testing and availability stuff, but I love the league's attitude. I love the NHL. Gary Bettman and Bill Daly have had the right mindset on this from day one, which is if there's any human way to play, we're playing. And we will have the scenarios ready. I love that. I love their determination to play. So if we get the green light, we're going to play. I just think there's still a lot of obstacles that people haven't haven't even dreamed of. And I, I do think when we do come back, I think we're coming back to a real different economic landscape than we left. Uh, Brian, uh, uh, one other area that I've always admired about you is that you speak your mind. You're not scared to hold back, and uh, and I've always considered that a, a really, uh, really positive uh, 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 character trait, uh, and that's to state the obvious. And the one area you've been, you're not, you're not, not fearful about stating your criticisms. You've been critical of media coverage in Toronto. Um, you have some, obviously... If it's positive, you're more than happy to pat people on the back if, if for positive. But you've been critical of certain media coverage. Um, you still feel the same way? I, I've never patted anyone on the back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, I never will. The, the beauty of my position on television is I haven't made any deals with anybody. So what happens when you're in the media for a while, you establish alliances with agents and with certain GMs. And it's kind of like you're not going to rip that GM because he's your buddy. Well, I'm going after, I'm trying to be objective on every single thing I do. So if I don't like a signing, uh, I didn't like Austin Matthews' contract. I said that. I like I, I like Austin Matthews as a player immensely. But I didn't like the contract, and I said that. Um, I don't like the NHL draft lottery. And people say, oh, you're tight with Batman. Yeah, I am tight with Batman. But I think the NHL draft lottery is a joke, and I've said that many times. So I'm going to speak my mind. Now, here's what I said about the media in, in Toronto, in case you weren't paying attention. I think the vast majority of the media that cover the NHL are honest, hardworking, sincere people that want to get it right. No question about it. And we're the beneficiaries of that. I said this back as an assistant GM in Vancouver. I said at the time, but there's a handful of scumbags and maggots that get it wrong and wreck it for everybody. Now, that quote's been used against me a hundred times that I called the media scumbags and maggots. I didn't. I said the media as a group are wonderful, but there's a handful. And I've gone after those people by name. I've sued a couple of them. I will continue to go after them by name. My view hasn't changed. Here's the issue with the media in Toronto. It's the sheer volume. So in Calgary, after practice on a non-game day, we might have 20 reporters and maybe three cameras. After a game, 40 reporters and five cameras. After a game in Toronto, there's close to 100 people in that room. <laughs> That's why the dressing room is so big. I don't know if you guys know that. The reason NHL dressing rooms are so big is for the media. It's not for the players. We'd like to have smaller rooms. We'd like to have the dressing room, the walls be 10 feet apart so or 12 feet apart, like back when we played, so you can make eye contact with a guy and talk to him without shouting. The rooms are that big to accommodate the media. So when you lose in Toronto... It's 80 people or 90 people picking up a rock and throwing it. So it's 10 at Phil Kessel, 10 at me, 10 at Dion, 10 at Ron Wilson. And there's an overwhelming negativity that accompanies that with the social media. That's all I've said. I've never used it as an excuse. Um, as I said, the day I got fired, I did my press conference three days later. I said, I was fired here because I didn't win enough games. 
didn't make any excuses. People don't like being accountable. I don't mind being accountable. Brian, Brian what do you, you we've had uh, you have had you mentioned Dion enough. What makes him so unpopular with the Leafs? I've never seen a player so unpopular in the U.S. with Toronto. Well, you remember Larry Murphy? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think the the crowd here turns on one guy. They were turning on Jake Gardner at the end too. I think the crowd here picks a whipping boy, and that guy can do nothing right. And Dion's case. I also think Canadians despise athletes they view as overpaid. Like Americans are accustomed to it, right? They're used to all this guy in football makes $20 million this year. So they're not getting mad at Zdeno Chara or, or uh, Pasternak, who's making $8 million. They're kind of immune to it because hockey salaries aren't offensive compared to the other sports. But in Canada, people resent big salaries unless you're playing great. Like, the accountability level for money in Canada is much higher than it is in the U.S. And that's what bothered people is that he made a lot of money. Um, he, he was he was a great player for us. He, he played well. He was a, a good captain, good teammate. He's a wonderful human being. But they turned on him, I think, more because of the money. And the team didn't win. He's the captain of a team that can't win. They turned on him. I mean, Larry Murphy got run out of this place. And Larry Murphy's a great player. And went on to have some great seasons elsewhere. So to me, I think one thing, too, they did a show on Dion. I forget what it was. The NHL encouraged. There was a player's cribs. And they, Dion gave a tour of his house and showed his suits and his watches. And that just drove people crazy. They don't want to see how many, uh, I don't even know, what, what what's the name of a designer? I don't have any. They want to see any Armani suits. Uh, you've got 10 Armani suits and uh, three Rolexes, and, and, you know, people are like, uh, no, some guy just got his weed off in Alberta. He ain't worried about how many watches a player has. He doesn't like that. Uh, Brian, I hope you can give us about another three, four minutes. And, and we may we may be a little bit, uh, we'll try and wrap this up shortly. I've just got a couple of uh, quick questions. Um, the um, Today's NHL, uh, a word that you like to use, that I like to use as well, is truculent. Um, doesn't seem a lot of people are critical in today, of today's NHL. A lot of skill, not as much physicality. Um, how do we get the physicality back into the game? Well, the one good thing is that the one thing that, that I really like about our league is it's kind of cyclical or cyclical if you use the proper definition or proper pronunciation. It's kind of a, a cyclical deal where. We, we'll get a little run. Like, it'll be flag football for about three weeks, and then there'll be one big hit in the game and a couple of fights, and then we'll get a little run of, like, 10, 12 games where it's more like that. And then it calms down again, and you get a little run, and you get excited again. The game is in great shape. The players have never been better. The speed is fantastic. I love the game. I miss that one component. And I, what encourages me is that it always seems to come back in vogue in the playoffs. And that restores my faith in hockey and where we are. But I watch the Leafs a lot. Um, when, we, when we're doing the games, I'm in studio. But when we're not, if the Leafs are playing and we're not doing the game, I'm at the game. I love their talent. I love their skill level. I don't like their level of truculence or physicality. And I do think the game misses that. And the one thing that restores my faith in the game every year is the playoffs because it comes in in game one. The intensity level ratchets up in the first game of each series. Naz, one last question each. Go ahead. Uh, 
Nazem Kadri was traded in the offseason. Do you think they should have kept him instead of making the trade? Well, I think what went into it, um, first off, my three rules of broadcasting are, one, I assume basic competence. So I assume that, that Kyle Dubas is basically a competent guy, and he is. He's very bright. Two is I assume good intentions. I assume he wants to win as badly as all Leaf fans do, which he does. And three, I assume superior knowledge. In other words, I can pry and I can dig and I can look into what's happening in the Leafs dressing room. But Kyle's always going to know better than I do. So that trade to me was, I think the players felt they could not trust Nas after what had happened in the playoffs two years in a row. Getting suspended in the playoffs two years in a row. I think he lost his teammates' trust. So that went into it. The salary cap went into it. And the players that came back at the time, people are questioning that deal now because Tyson Berry hasn't performed as people expected. And Alex Kerfoot's a nice player, but hasn't done a whole lot. People are questioning the, the payoff now, but at the time, I thought it was a good return. And um, the fact is, some players can't play in Toronto. Some players can't handle a big stage, but I thought it was a good return. And um, so I, I, I wouldn't criticize that trade because I, I'm guessing I've had teammates come to me before and say, players come to me before and say, look, this guy's got to go. He's not, he's just not, we don't trust him. And so, um, and that happens. And I think that's what happened here. And when that happens, you have to move on. Uh, last question, Brian, uh, personal curiosity from my point of view, you are a voracious reader. You carry books around with you all the time. You carry them on airplanes. You've made it an important part, uh, of your, of your family's upbringing. Um, what's your favorite book or books? Well, oh, um, I think my favorite book of fiction is Sometimes a Great Notion by Ken Kesey, and it's old, but it's a fantastic book about the Stamper family. And um, I loved that book, and a guy I played with actually got Ken Kesey to autograph a copy of it for me. I'm not sure where that is with all these moves I've gone through, but uh, I read mostly, I'm a history major, I read mostly biographies uh, of famous people, politicians, uh, I try to read every fifth book I read. I try and read a sports book, but it's tricky because I don't want to read a book that I don't want to read a book unless it's written by someone with a ring. Like, I don't want to learn how to be good at, at this. Um, I, I don't want to learn how to be good at something. I want to learn how to be great at something. So it's, uh, I, I do read a lot of biographies. Um, and, um, right now I'm reading river battles, which my children gave me for Christmas. It's about the, River Battles in World War II. I'm just starting it up. I just finished Edison, which they also gave me a book about Thomas Alva Edison. I knew nothing about him, and it was a fascinating read. Anyways, Brian, uh, hopefully we haven't overstayed our welcome. I, we, I just uh, want to thank you so much for this. It's been very interesting. We appreciate so much you taking the time for us on a, on a Sunday morning, and uh, we will continue to watch you on Sportsnet. We always find you interesting and passionate. Thanks so much for taking your time for us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. Uh, on that note, uh, Naz, we've got about uh, six, seven minutes left. We'll go to break, and uh, Naz and I will be back to wrap it up. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. 
Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do. Peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. On the line with me, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Naz, I uh, enjoyed that Brian Burke interview. I find him, you know, that uh, that commercial about the most interesting man in the world, uh, I've, I've always found Brian Burke, uh, if not pretty close to being the most interesting man in hockey. Uh, he's a straight shooter. He's not scared to tell you what's on his mind. Uh, he's got principles. He's got character. He's got values. Uh, and they certainly come through. And he's got that stubborn Irish streak in him as well. Um, uh, certainly very, very interesting. Pleasure to, pleasure to chat with him. Naz? Yeah, he was a very level-headed and uh, it was a great interview. Yeah, no, I'm sure he doesn't need to hear that from us. But, uh, uh, yeah, he's, uh, 
he's there's very few people uh you know you and i've been around a long time and we've been uh, uh we've been associated uh not on a professional level but we've been sports junkies uh since we were kids and uh uh, always had a fascination with sports and sports media. Did our own show in the in, in the 1970s call-in show. Uh, took this back up six uh, six years ago, and always had a passion for sports. And uh, like I like when we've discussed a lot of lot of our contemporaries uh, have been uh, shown the proverbial door in the last year or so, and we don't need to get into names, some of whom uh, we've interviewed on the show in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, there's very few, there's very few in sports, uh, sports talk radio or in sports uh, media these days that I will go out of my way that I find, uh, I find tremendously entertaining or tremendously insightful. Uh, but if I see Brian Burke's, uh, uh, persona on the television screen or hear his voice on the radio, I, I turn up the dial. And so do I. He's very honest and very opinionated, and his stories are amazing. Yeah, and we, do, we only scratched the surface of them. I, I wish we had more time. He had, there's, a great Brian, uh, there's a great Brian Burke story between him and Kevin Lowe in the whole Dustin Penner fiasco where they... Uh, they literally almost challenged each other to a fist fight that was supposed to happen. And Gary Bettman had to pick up the phone and say to Brian, you're kidding, right? And, uh, you know, Brian said he was kidding. Yeah. Couldn't, uh, couldn't get into that. Couldn't get into, uh, I mean, I got the opportunity to, to listen to some of the other interviews he's done and some of the other, uh, sports media outlets lately, uh, uh, worst contract uh, he would say was J. Michael Lyles. Uh, that that's a fascinating story. Um, um, character, the Neil Yakupov story when they interviewed him, uh, interviewed Neil Yakupov before the draft. This was the Morgan Riley draft, I believe, where Burke actually had Riley at number one, and I think Riley went four or five that year, if I'm not mistaken. He went five. He went five. He went five. Yeah. Uh, which certainly, in retrospect, uh, that was a hell of a good, uh, hell of a good draft, uh, hell of a good choice. Um, but interesting story about the Yakupov uh, interview before that draft, and uh, 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 didn't have time for that Burke story, unfortunately. So, uh, so, so many other stories. Uh, Brian Book and uh, Brian Burke uh, could tell us. Hopefully, hopefully, there's a book in his future. Uh, um, certainly, uh, if Brian Burke, uh, writes a book, I'd be, I'd probably be the first one to, uh, to pick it up and flip through it. There's, uh, so much, uh, you know, not scared to be critical. As soon as they signed Nylander, they, you uh, know, I said overpaid him, did not quite understand, couldn't make the math work with the, with the four big contracts in Toronto and the beauty of it all. Uh, Brian Burke's not scared to discuss it. Um, uh, I remember Brian saying he'd let a night Nylander rot in that contract dispute. Yeah, he's not he's not vindictive. He's fair. He's fair in his criticism. He makes his point, and he's willing to stick up for his point. And on that note, unfortunately, Naz, the clock has struck 10. Uh, last want, words. Just want to wish a uh, happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law, Terry Danilo. Special to all of us. Thanks to our listeners. Have a safe week. We'll be back again next Bye. Monday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, 
and The Garden Show.